Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All righty, welcome back. It's episode 231 of the Freight 360 Podcast. We're talking about claims today, but first, Make sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so. Follow us on social media. On We got like a Twitter now, I think, right? Yeah, we got a Twitter. We got a Facebook group. Share us with your friends. Make sure to hit the like button, leave reviews, etc. Check out our website, Freight360.net, and the Freight Broker Basics course to get the best training in the industry. And actually, Ben, we actually had a uh, opportunity to join Chris Jolly's show Yesterday, kind of talking about training and coaching. Um, great discussion. So if you guys are fans of us, Chris Jolly is a friend. We co-teach the TIA's new broker success uh, package for TIA. Um, check out his podcast, Coffee with the Freight Coach. You'll see um, Ben and myself talking about that stuff whenever he releases it. Um, sweet, man. How's uh, Is Florida warming up at all? It is. It's a little Good. bit warmer this week than it was. I mean, today got a little colder. It's back in the 50s. But the past three or four days, it was lows in the high 60s to low 70s. Pretty I'm getting nice. the itch, man. We, My wife and I put up on like our mantle above our fireplace those little blocks with like letters and numbers. You can spell out like happy birthday and all that. And it's just yeah. as like days till Florida. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it like the mild winter in Buffalo definitely um, – was enjoyed by us and it's gone. It's like in the twenties now. And I, heard it's snow February. Huh? I saw snow in the Northeast, definitely on the New York. Yeah. The that, yeah Eastern New York side. Get that. Um, yeah. There was a big winter weather system that came yep. through. It had like a name and everything. I don't remember what it was, but yeah, that went through like New York, Boston. Yeah. Didn't touch us though. But anyway, we're, uh, we're getting close to the daylight savings and the clocks moving, which means no more uh, dark at five o'clock or four thirty. So it's yeah. just you know it's it's the beginning of it's the end of the uh, the terrible winter season here, and hopefully a a peek into some nice warm weather. But sports, real quick, the Super Bowl Chiefs took it, man. I called it that they did. Yeah, Taylor Swift did not get proposed to by Travis Kelsey afterward. Do you see Travis Kelsey like running up to Andy Reid? Like, and there's been a bunch of memes about it. But he basically like ran up there and I think because he wasn't on the field and got I all like that. I, I mean, yeah, I watched like, the end of it. Grabbed him, him was like screaming in his ear. So it was wild. That first half of that game was like super boring though. And halftime, dude, I love the Usher halftime show. I don't know about you, man. It took me back. It took me way back to the '90s and early 2000s. I was so. listening to um, this, this radio show in Pittsburgh. They were talking about the halftime show Monday. I saw some of it, but my wife wanted to watch something else. So I turned it off and turned it back. And um, he was like, this guy was, he's like our age. And he was like, yeah, he's like, I love that shit. Love the roller skates. He's like, <laughs> I forget who else was there. He's like, that shit brought me back Luda like 20 some years. Luda, Luda. And he's like, uh, yeah. he's super excited. And he goes, he goes, I was watching with my kids who are like, you know, early teenagers. And he's like, dude, wasn't that awesome? And he's like, they just looked at me and went, 
not so much. And he's like, there's the generational gap. He's like, my kids looked at me like I was a big dork. And he was like, I loved it. Cause yeah. I, I mean, for me, that's right in my wheelhouse. Like I'm sure. Dude, I, yeah, I thought it. it was great for sure. Um, the second half of that game was amazing though. I mean, it was, it was up tempo, you know, fast paced scoring was good. And then like, you know, like the Chiefs, hate the Chiefs, or if you're indifferent, regardless, like that was a hell of a performance for their offense to just click into gear and um, force it to overtime and then take the win. So so I can't remember, but who won the coin toss for the overtime? Was it? It was San Fran, wasn't it? San Fran, and they elected to take the ball first, which some people um, yes. say could have been the wrong choice. And even like Tony Romo said it during the broadcast. He's like, well, what do you do here? Do you take the ball first and try to go down and score, knowing that they can come back down and either no. score or tie you or beat you? Or do you defer and hope they don't go down and score, but risk them going down against, you know? See, I like I heard like the, the recap or the analysis or the perspective I heard made a lot of sense. And there was two things that I wanted to say, because I also think this relates to our show and our industry. Right. And the one was they're like, you know, on average, if you kick off and the other team doesn't score, right. They're going to punt. You're going to get the ball probably better than you would have field position wise than off the kickoff, right? Off the kickoff, you're probably going to hit the 20 or less. If you give the ball to the other team and you hold them and they punt, the likelihood is you probably have a little better field position. But even so, you're going to get the ball back anyway, right? And the thing they said afterwards, I guess in one of the interviews with both Andy Reid, and I can't remember the coach's name for San Fran off the top of my head, but they asked both of them, hey, did you guys have a plan for overtime? And Andy Reid was like, yeah, we absolutely expected that if we would have won the coin toss, we would have done this. If we didn't win, the plan was this. And they interviewed the other coach and they were like, no, we didn't expect to. Yeah, Shanahan was like, we didn't expect to get to overtime, so we didn't really have a plan. And I was like, that to me says a whole lot right there. Like you got to have a plan for like every contingency. Yeah. For the well, last that's game. Gonna, that's going to tie into our claims discussion today, but we'll get there. Well, and we'll that, get that there. was the point. I'm like, man, if that's not a great takeaway for just, <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like the people that prepare, right? Yep. Plan, what is it? Fail to plan. People that fail to plan, plan to fail. What plan to fail. Five? That's it. Yep. There's your uh, your daily or your weekly Ben Kowalski proverb. Proverb, yeah. Um, producer Steven said Usher only made $400 after everything was settled for his halftime show. Scratch that, Usher made zero. Uh, so I didn't know this actually until this week that halftime performers don't get paid for their performance. But it is well worth it for them. Like their expenses are paid for um, – you know, for like yep. what they, whatever it costs to put the show on, it's paid for. But the publicity is where the like intangible value lies. So like he's he's got, I think he's got a new album coming out, and it was yeah. a huge promotion for. It. Like yep. they they say, whenever there's a, a Super Bowl performer, their music tends to get like a 10x boost in downloads on like Apple Music and everything, like instantly, which is a huge payout. So like Rihanna, I think she when she did last year, she had an album coming out, too, or something like that. So, but. you know what I read? And I was curious if this is true. Um, they said somewhere I, I saw it. It was on a post. So, again, no idea if this was true and didn't look it up. But it said prior to 1992, there was not a halftime show. And they said in 1992, In Living Color did a live episode during the halftime of the I Super Bowl. I saw that. Yeah. And got 20 million viewers because basically everyone went, oh, well, let's go watch this for a minute. Right. And came back. 
And the year after was when they hired, and I can't remember who they hired, but it was like a huge name in like nine. And I'm like, I don't know if that's true or not. I was like, but that's no, a really no, I interesting. I saw that in an article um, last week. Unless we both read the same article and it's wrong. But anyway, that's sports. Um, in news, just check out our newsletter. We put everything in there. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, it comes out. And uh, what are some big takeaways that we saw? Oh, dude, that plane crash in Florida. The truck driver's cat uh, dash camera caught the the crash. Did you see that? No, I saw oh, the there's a There's crash. a link in our newsletter news. if anyone listening wants to see. I mean, it's. It's tragic, but it shows like the plane coming down. Um, wild story there, and like the it sounds like the pilots are kind of like heroes. Um, there, the the pilot and co-pilot were the the two only two fatalities, and it's I mean it's tragic regardless. But they had the two passengers and the flight attendant get to the back of the plane where it was the safest for a, a landing and impact. The plane touched down, ended up hitting the wall like the the wall on the side of the highway and spun around, which killed the two the the pilot and second in command. But the three other passengers were able to get out safely and um no one on the road got killed. I mean the one guy it sounds like he got hurt, his his truck got clipped by the plane, but just wild man. And it was all caught by a a, a camera on a truck driver's dash, which actually we're gonna talk a little bit about today with certain kinds of claims and things like that, whether it's an accident or whatnot and who's at fault. That's um, wild. I just watched it like, yeah, and found it pretty quick, but that is crazy, man. Yeah. Cause I mean, the, the pilot is literally down the street, Oakland park and Pompano were the two pilots and they were talking about on the local news. I mean, yesterday I saw it, but I didn't get to hear in the news piece exactly what played out. That is absolutely crazy. Yeah. That's nuts, man. Um, besides that, I'm trying to think of any other new stuff that popped up. Um, yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, claims. So, uh, I, I want to remind everybody we had a, uh, Stephen Rui, our, our producer slash intern, and we had him on an episode a couple months ago and talked about meat and there was a bit about claims in there. So double, uh, Double listen or watch that one if you want some more claim stuff. We're going to focus on more general stuff today. Someone had a question on YouTube asking about um, you know claims when it's not produce because we talked about a produce situation in the past with USDA inspections. And I thought, let's have an episode where we just talk about claims, the process of how claims work, the parties involved. Uh, we could tell some stories. We haven't talked about claims in a little bit. So we definitely have some new uh, stories to share and um, tips and tricks to give you guys. So, Ben, what's – uh? Any memorable claims that you have? I have a really, yeah, I have a one that's very memorable. It, there was a fatality involved. I've told this. It was probably a very long time ago that we talked about this. It might even in like our first couple episodes, I think maybe, where we did this topic. But I was hauling um, Project Steel coming out of New Orleans ports, going up to the steel mills up in like Detroit. We were talking about this on the project, Frank. Yeah. That was the yep. project, right? And one of the carriers, he was, he was running, you know, multiple loads. I was doing these for weeks, maybe a couple months. So, I mean, knew the guy very well. Guy was probably in his late sixties or early seventies and we like lost him. Right. And it, I'll never forget it because it was like over a weekend. I think he loaded Friday, wasn't supposed to deliver Monday and I couldn't get a hold of him Friday. And I was making my check calls Saturday. And I remember talking to the dispatcher and it was a smaller trucking company, you know, a couple people. 
And I'll never forget talking to this woman. She's like, we don't know where he is. We've been trying to reach him. We're really nervous. We were calling local police, not because we thought it was stolen, because we just both of us couldn't find or hear from him and didn't know what was happening. We thought, and we came to find out, I think Sunday night we found out was the guy had had a heart attack on the highway, on the interstate and avoided hitting the rest stop as he lost control of the truck. And intentionally they, they believe veered from hitting other people and the rest stop and hit a tree. They said they thought it happened on purpose, well, then the truck exploded and burned to the ground. So not only did all of that play out, right, was the claim after, but that was the incident that caused the claim. And after the fact, we had found out that, like, they'd think he had passed away, like, in the accident, kind of, like, prior to it. And it was, like, a last thing he did, kind of, to, like, to keep people wow. out of harm's way. And, yeah, guy was super nice guy. I mean, I remember still talking to him to this day. And I remember that woman's voice when I talked to her like that Sunday night or that Monday night. And that's, that's wild. Um, we had, as I think about the burning thing. I remember years ago, someone had started at a company I used to work for and her fourth day, she had a total loss from a truck like exploding and just burning. Oh. And I was like, that's pretty, that's bad luck, but Hey, she got to learn the claim, claims process pretty quickly. You do. And there was um, a lot involved. Like the claim involved the cleanup. It involved trying to salvage what was left. And it was, if I remember, it was um, insulated steel wire. Like it looked like telephone wire, right? It had okay. a big steel wire in the middle and a bunch of rub around it. So all of that melted, but the steel was still there. And like working through the claim process, like there was salvage value there. We had to make sure that the cleanup was paid. Like there was a lot involved in the whole process. Yeah, um, we actually just went through one recently where, and we'll, I'll kind of I'll reference it a little bit today. But we had, well, it was a, it was a double whammy. So basically, the it was a double broker. So we had a newer guy at our company, and he got double brokered on, and the it was onions that ended up freezing because there was issue with the reefer not being set properly. But anyway, it got accepted by the receiver. And then afterward, they're trying to file a claim. So now there's a big dispute about like, who's at fault. Yeah. Um, basically like everyone's a little bit at fault, shipper, receiver and carrier. But, uh, Oh yeah, they, okay. So this is what it was. They sent in a, <laughs> I've told stories like this, but it happened again. They sent in a vented van and had propane tanks in it. Again? Again. This is not you the same run into this than anybody that. I've ever talked to. <laughs> <laughs> they had two propane heaters and they tipped over. Um, and the guy told him, like, hey, the customer advises to take the southern route to avoid the colder temperatures. Um, and they didn't. And either way, we had, there was frozen some frozen onions, but the customer's a little bit at fault for loading them, knowing that it was not the right equipment. The broker got uh, double brokered on and the receiver. Well, the carrier obviously was the one hauling it and the tanks didn't keep the temperature right. And the receiver accepted it. And then they're like, oh, it's damaged. We had to file a claim. So we're dealing with double broker trying to figure out a claim and now it's like well since it wasn't rejected and there's going to be a claim on a delivered load after the fact now the customer is disputing paying the freight 
paying the freight bill when they legally have to because we legally have to pay the truck because it was an accepted shipment, not a rejected yep. shipment with a claim. So it's a mess. I have like three or four questions. Go ahead, man. Just, the story just out of the gate, right? So the first question I have is, what commodity was it? Onions. Okay. Second question I have is, and I've never thought about this until you just said that, was if a shipper tells the carrier which route to drive, like they, we can as a that. broker – but a shipper. Yeah, so so that's a really good point. Um, we what we do is on the rate confirmation, we have verbiage that states per customer's request, route must must take southern route. But it's not like us telling them, hey, yep. we're dictating where you go. Like, no, th- this is a contingent requirement f- from our shipper is that you Got have it. to it needs this equipment, it needs to be set this temperature, and you need to you need to take a southern route so you're not hitting um, extreme cold weather in the wintertime. Okay. So, so second, we're just relaying a customer's re- requirement. Yep. Got it. So third question, right, is how did the double broker slip through? What and um, how happened? It was out? just lack of vetting. So the load was supposed to pick up on a Tuesday, I think, and ended up showing up on a Friday and a different he, – he didn't even know. Um, like, like I said, he was new to the company and didn't know our process fully yet. But he, uh, after the fact, found out the truck that delivered it was not the same trucking company or MC number that he had hired. So it was it was a it wasn't a uh, like the fraud you see where they're trying to take a quick pay and get away with it. Um, he yep. legitimately just rebrokered it to somebody else um, with like you know. Uh, you think intent to pay, but who knows? But yeah, just didn't didn't get pictures at the pickup or verify a slew of things. So yeah. Uh, now the third question. Now now get into the claim process. So the load was delivered, which means the receiver signed it clean, put the signature on it. Which to your point means you've got to pay the carrier, regardless of what happens after that fact, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe we don't jump into this one because this is like it's a pretty complex. Yeah, like let's just go through a standard load gets picked up, load gets delivered. They don't want to sign for it, and they mark that twenty five percent or maybe all of it. Which what kind of example do you want to go through? Do you want to yeah, set the let's, stage? Let's go through a non food one because we've talked about USDA inspections in the past. Because what we're going to talk about here is still all this will apply, but in addition, when it's like food, pro, like if it's like produce, for example, like onions. You can order a USDA inspection and they'll come out. Like we actually talked about this on an episode of Blue Book. And they, what, but what they'll do is they'll come out and they'll give an objective third party um, report on the quality, like the official reported quality and quantity that, that's, you know, not to standard of that product at the time of inspection. But so that would be an addition to what we're going to talk about. But it, like a normal claim, what will trigger a claim? Well, it's going to be um, damaged product, um, shortage of product. Um, those are, I mean, that's like your, your main two, right? It's either damaged or it's missing. So we're going to file a claim. Yep. Damage is like your most common. So it could be that um, it wasn't secured properly in the truck and it tipped over. Obviously, we mentioned reefer stuff. It could melt or it could get too, war- uh, too cold. Um, you could have dr- accident, like you mentioned, right? So 
they get in a car accident and or they get in a, a vehicle accident and the stuff gets damaged from the accident, or like the case with the burning. Um, either way, right? The product's damaged. So where you, where this gets properly annotated would be upon you usually know about it when it gets delivered, right? They get to the receiver, they pop the trailer open, and they're like, that's not how it's supposed to look, right? Whether it's damaged, tipped over, there's water, like there's liquid leaking, there's all kinds of ways it could happen. Um, but either way, that stuff needs to be annotated on the bill of lading. When you look at a bill of lading, which is a legal document that follows that, um, it follows the possession of the freight throughout it, right? The customer, the shipper signs off that, hey, we loaded 20 pallets, boom. And then the carrier signs off, I'm accepting this load, right? And this is what the, what here's what's on here. And then the receiver is the third person. They sign it. Yep. I am signing that I've received this quantity. And if there is a, if there's damage, that should be annotated on the bill of lading by the receiver to cover their butt. So that way they're, they're not at fault for it for any reason. Cause you, what you might have is somebody that receives a product, they damage it. Like maybe one of their, maybe one of their dock workers jabs it with a forklift by mistake. And they're like, Oh my God, it showed up damage. It's like, well, no, it didn't. You just accepted it. And it's signed right here. Um, so that is, does that make sense? Right? Like how the standard thing would go product does. Up, damaged and that's, your, makes your, perfect sense, right? Claimer. Like, and that's where I don't want to go through the example you just said first because, like, I have a lot of questions because I haven't run into that specific instance. Um, we can ask after. So you're right. Keep going. Go from there. Yeah. So um, you, the the receiver can reject the product. They can reject. They can um, accept it as. Uh, but annotate that it's damaged. Those are kind of like a common one. So let's go through one. Hold on. Let's go through one by one. Cause I think it's helpful. So your options load gets delivered. First is receiver says rejected. What happens from that point forward? A couple. I mean, it could be a few things. You're definitely going to want to get with your customer about it. Like the shipper and keep in mind, like we always say, bad news gets worse with time. So as soon as you have an inkling of any kind of claim, you should be talking to your customer and whoever manages claims within your brokerage, whether it's yourself, if it's just you, or if it's somebody else in the company. Because the customer might say, okay, okay, here's what we do when this happens. Or they might say, this is the first time it's happened. We have to figure this out. Um, depending on how far away it is, sometimes they're like, just send it, just give it, bring it back to us. Or they might say, um, we can okay, first option. Okay. I want to go through them one by one. In first option, the shipper tells you, the receiver rejected it, or they find out the receiver rejected it, and they go, bring it back to us. Who pays the transportation fee to take the load all the way back to point A? It, well, it depends on who's at fault. And the, the finding of the claim, the result of the claim is what's going to determine that. If the, if the carrier is ultimately at fault. We'll go back a second. So right now in this scenario, right, my load was supposed to deliver an hour ago. I got a call from my carrier. They rejected my load. And he goes, what am I going to do with this? I call the shipper. Right. And what if they say, I mean, I guess if it's obvious, I mean, I can't imagine the shipper is just going to go, I'll pay the freight bill to bring it back. And I guess it matters like where we think the claim was, like, was it because it wasn't hauled correctly or handled correctly I mean, or because. Yeah. I mean, it's going to all be situationally dependent and it's usually somewhat obvious who's at fault. Right. Yeah. Like you, you kind of know, like if it was loaded and it was good. And then it shows up and it's damaged nine times out of 10, the carrier did something wrong. Yeah. Well, like, and in that I mean, scenario, 
I mean, probably more than nine times out of 10, probably okay. 99 times out of a hundred. And, and I'm just, you know, don't quote me on that stat, but it's, if well, it no. was good when it was loaded and it was bad when it arrived, it something happened in the middle. Have you fallen victim to double brokering, cargo theft, or identity theft? Quickscope stands out as the only low-level fraud protection tool available today. Unlike any other solution on the market, Quickscope is deployed post-agreement between shippers or brokers and carriers. Shippers can rest assured that their cargo remains secure. Brokers can confidently confirm the identity of the individuals on site for pickup, and carriers can trust that they'll receive timely payment. Start your free trial with Quickscope today by visiting them online at quickscope.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-K-O-P-E.com. Blue Book Services is the resource you need if you're transporting fresh produce or lumber. Their online databases contain thousands of companies throughout the produce and lumber industry supply chains. You can easily search their databases to generate new sales leads. Blue Book's credit ratings help you avoid companies with high credit risk, and their team can help resolve disputed loads. To learn more, go to producebluebook.com or lumberbluebook.com and click join today. Right. So in your normal scenario where the carrier will say would maybe be obviously at fault, um, you know, I'm trying to think of even an example that just like really makes that obvious. I'm like, because even some of the ones like that well, I've I had. Mean, reefer breakdowns, that's like a common one. It's yeah, like reefer breakdown. in produce yeah. a lot, right? It could be that the reefer unit broke down or what malfunctioned or they didn't put more <clears throat> fuel in, in the tank for the reefer unit. Right. Like, okay, well, in that scenario and they go, hey, all garbage. And the shipper goes, I can imagine if it's produce that the shipper says, doesn't don't bring it back to me because what yeah, point there's usually, that ever make sense? So like food items, um, sometimes they'll they can salvage a portion of it. And then the claim would be the the part that was a loss, like maybe half of it or less. Yep. Um, but there's oftentimes places they can go dispose of it. And these receivers for food items. They know this stuff they're is gonna, part of regular business. So they're going to tell right. you like, you can go dump it here or there's a food bank that will take this. It just, does, just doesn't meet our standard, but the food yep. bank can decide what they want to take and the rest can be tossed. Um, and they might be able to accept a portion of it. So it just, it really all depends. But if it's a, let's say for example, it's a expensive piece of machinery that's worth $500,000 and it got damaged somehow because it's a flatbed or if it's an open deck, they didn't have it tarped or something. Right. And boom, Let's go through damn. that one. They're that's the one that went through my mind. Fix it. You know what I mean? Okay. So I'll go through one, right? Say we loaded a flatbed, right. And it was supposed to be tarped and it wasn't, and it was lumber and it's soaking wet and they reject it right on the other end. Does the shipper have any responsibility that it wasn't tarped? Or is that all on the care? And is that always on that? Um, I think it depends on, I mean, I, I would probably say they, yeah, I would say they probably, they share some responsibility for negligence, knowing that they, that they loaded it and let the guy drive away without it protected. That, that's kind of like the situation that I mentioned um, just here, like the carrier, the shipper loaded, not a reefer, but a yep. van with propane tanks in it. Like, yeah. come on. I know you, I know people do that and it's stupid, but when it gets screwed up, you're kind of at fault a little bit. Um, so yes, I would say, yeah, but, but here's the deal that 
and we should probably get into the claims process and what it what it all does. But at the end of the day, like the customer might say, I'm not eating that. Like I need to get right. paid for this. But if a claim gets denied by the insurance company because three parties involved were all idiots and what happened is not part of the claims coverage, they're going to say the claims denied. And now you've got, let's say, $50,000 loss. So either everybody chips in a little bit to take care of the customer and the customer eats some or the customer just gets screwed. And, and never use the broker again. Never use the broker again or that carrier if it was okay. a carrier. So, so let's go through. Yes. Okay. I'm going to say, let's go through what is in a standard, if there is such a thing, claim on what happens, like timeline. What can you expect to do? Receiver calls you and says, yep. you set the stage and tell me the steps. Yeah. So, um, you know, let's, we'll assume it was, the load was delivered and they annotated that it was, there was damage, right? But they, yep. but they accepted it and they want to be compensated for the loss. So what will happen is the insurance company that we're referring to here is the carrier's insurance company. And this is going to be their, their, they're the primary cargo insurance holder. And what that insurance covers is the freight that's on board their truck, not the truck itself. So there, if there's an accident, that's a different, like the cargo policy covers the cargo. And then you've got like your, your auto liability and everything else that's going to cover the everything that's not the freight. But in this case, the motor carriers in cargo insurance is who the claim will be filed with, right? And this can be filed by the shipper if they work directly with the carrier or if, it, if there's a broker involved like us, right? One of our value adds to a customer is that, hey, we will handle the claims process for you. We, You're the beneficiary of the claim. The motor carrier carries the insurance. It doesn't involve us whatsoever, but part of our job to take care of both you and our carriers is to handle this claims process. And that's typically what happens. So um, you typically have some sort of, it might be, it depends by the company, um, but you might have a, a standard like claims packet that you fill out. I bet the larger companies probably have something that's very um, like systematic and was approved by lawyers and whatnot. We just do a basic presentation. It's going to have, we're going to compile a PDF that's got, you know, pages of, you know, what happened, communication, pictures, timeline, et cetera, right? Everything that the adjuster from the insurance company is going to want. And if you don't know, when you go to file the claim, they're going to tell you, you know, if you've yep. been in business long enough, you've done claims, you kind of know what they're going to ask for. So that way you can have it all ready to go and packaged up and get it to them. The reason that a lot of claims take so long to pan out is because people are, you're waiting on somebody to do something. And don't let that be you because the faster you yeah. get it handled, the faster your customer gets made whole. Mm -hmm. So I've seen claims take six months or longer because there's so much back and forth. You're caught and dry, very straightforward once. You can handle that in a few weeks or a month as long as everybody's being diligent and doing what they have to do quickly. But the takeaway here is that we are filing a claim on the carrier's insurance on behalf of the shipper who is the insured party or the, the beneficiary of that payout. And then eventually that check would be cut. Um, is that, do we basics covered there? One-on-one. Yeah. So again, just to reiterate, there's a claim, 
sign off the receiver. They don't want to receive it because it's damaged. They denote the bill of lading, but they accept it, not rejecting it with saying what's damaged. So you get the BOL, carrier says, hey, or customer, sorry, receiver to be specific goes, hey, 45 or half of these pallets are damaged. I They denote that on the BOL. We want to file a claim, right? You have two choices from that point forward. The carrier can technically take care of it without the brokerage, but most Brokers do this as a service to their customers. The shipper, since they are the ones usually named on the certificate, that's why at onboarding, they ask for that, by the way. So you are basically going through, lining out everything that happened and writing a report step-by-step from pickup to delivery, what occurred. This is why your notes are really important in your TMS so that you have them all there. You upload all the documents, send that over to the insurance company that then usually reaches out to the carrier for their side of things to verify everything they put together. I guess they also reach out to the shipper too. And then they just pull all three pieces together for the claim process. Um, I know they reach it out to the carrier. It might depend on the situation, but yeah. usually, we're, yeah, usually we're the one that's anything shipper related, we're going to be the one presenting or yeah. we're taking care of that for them. We might have to go to the shipper and say, hey, can you send me over X, Y, and Z? I need it for the claim. Yeah. So, it, there's no there's no rule on how it has to be like who has to be involved in what place. All that matters is that it's it's being filed on the carrier's insurance f- with the beneficiary of the payout being whoever's freight it was. So, yep. but the shipper can file it. The carrier can file it. You know, on behalf of the shipper, the broker can file it. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um. So yeah, but here's something to note though: insurance policies have deductibles. Right. Like yep. car insurance, you might have a five hundred or a thousand dollar deductible. The the deductible is, hey, you're, we're going to pay the first X amount of dollars and the coverage kicks in for the rest of it. So if you have a carrier that has a high deductible, such as five thousand or ten thousand dollars, this can be dangerous. And this happened. I've seen this. I shouldn't say I've seen this. This just happens. And it, it's happened many times um, with my company that I work for and uh, with other people that I've talked with where. We've had damage that's less than the carrier's deductible. Like, so if they have a ten thousand dollar deductible and there's five k in damage, you're not even going to file a claim because they're not going to pay anything out. So now you're just asking the carrier, "Hey, yep. you owe us five thousand dollars for damages that your insurance doesn't cover." Is the carrier going to pay? No, they never pay. So you end up losing yeah. money as a broker. There, it's it's a very very dangerous position to be in. So. The lower deductibles, that's your ideal situation. So just keep that in mind. But uh, yeah. So what are some best practices to for preventative or to make this better? Um, I, I mean, attention to detail is huge. Like it, we have a we have a dispatching checklist you can download on our website in the resources section. And some of the things on there is like special. Special instructions, right? Make sure when you are talking to your customer, you are asking, like almost ask too much. Um, Like it it might feel like you're asking too many many details, but you want to know, you know, for the open deck example, you know, how does it need to be secured to the trailer? What protective measures does it need to have? Um, And the instance of the onion one that I mentioned, if there's a uh, certain requirement that the, the shipper customer has to prevent risk of freezing, which mm-hmm. could be take the Southern route or needs to be in a reefer that's, you know, preset to a certain temperature and is, is on continuous instead of, Hey, 
we're going to load a freaking van with <laughs> propane heaters. Um, right. Like you have to verify all this stuff. And then on the other side, you need to reiterate that to your carrier. And it might be multiple times, multiple different ways. It could be just putting on the rate confirmation. That might cover your butt, but it doesn't stop the fact that there's a claim. Your customer's going to be frustrated, right? So make sure you yeah. talk to the carrier. Hey, I just want to remind you, this is a temperature it needs to be set at. It's on the bill of lading. It's on my rate confirmation to you. Uh, make sure you pre-cool. You know, if it's in the middle of the summer, and it's got to be set to something very cold. It's going to take a bit of time to reach that temperature. They can't just flip it on five minutes beforehand. It's a very, very big. And those trailers are big, right? It's a lot yeah. of space to cool down. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's just attention to detail. Ask questions, verify. And then, you know, trust, but verify that whole phrase, right? You can trust that your carrier is going to do the right thing. But I'm a huge fan of always asking for the ship or the, the driver. Take a picture of, if it's an open deck, take a picture of it when it's loaded up. Send it to me, right? And that can yep. be used for multiple reasons. But one of them is like, that is also evidence that could be used in a potential claim down the road. You know, that driver is going to take pictures if they see something that's damaged. And the receiver is definitely taking pictures when they see what's damaged. So pictures are great. Um, try and think what else. Like some of the open deck equipment types. So let's say, um, you know, you have a, a low boy versus a flatbed, right? You can have different height requirements on it. Um, and this is more so general than just claims, but if something is too high and you clip a, you clip an overpass, um, or you could just have the truck get rejected because it's not the right equipment type, verify with the driver, hey, just to make sure you are you're going to be uh, pulling up with this specialized type of equipment, not a standard flatbed, right? Stuff like that. In freight, time is money, and efficiency is key. That's where Levity comes in. Imagine automating your email operations to do more with less effort. Levity connects directly to your inboxes, extracting vital information from emails and attachments in real time. It seamlessly integrates with your TMS, empowering you to quote faster, build loads more efficiently, and book more freight in less time. Whether it's incoming emails from shippers or carriers, Levity's got you covered. It understands any language, any format, and even interprets non-standard formatting. Visit levity.ai today to sign up and get started. Tired of struggling to find accurate rates and the right carriers for your freight? With DAT1, you can access more than 500 million posted loads and trucks every year. That's three times more capacity than any other load board. Plus, their integrated freight management system makes it easy to cover loads 24-7. They have the most trusted network of carriers, brokers, and shippers in the country. You'll get real-time rates on every lane so you know exactly how much a shipment will cost before you commit to it. Plus, you get instant access to top bids from qualified carriers around the country. Get 10% off your first year of DAT1 when you visit the link in the show notes. Yeah, it it also reminds me of like just the profit side of the industry, right? The higher the claim percentage, usually the higher the margin and the higher the rate is to ship it, right? Like a lot of the steel coils I used to ship, we used to ship the ones that they used to make beer cans out of to cores. Mm -hmm. So super low gauge, really, really, really thin aluminum, right? And I remember their, their loading protocol was, it was bubble wrap, cardboard, I think then like, uh, like a moving blanket, 
and then cardboard again, right? And I remember still to this day, right? I had pictures to your point because we were doing these weekly and they were the highest margin of all the coils. And even the shipper knew that, right? They're like, hey, a lot of our carriers don't want to run these because they're just very high claim percentage. Like we'll pay you a little more to take these over your regular standard coils, right? Mm-hmm. And like the second load we we shipped, I remember talking to the driver. I, I, I was talking to him in Ohio and he was like, hey, I'm parked under an overpass because it's hailing and I don't want any of this to be damaged, even though he did everything that was asked, right? Yeah. And he sat there underneath the road and absolutely waited. So we had to, we had to delay the shipment and everybody was okay with it. And still, when that thing got delivered, they showed me pictures like it had little dents in the coil, even through all of that, right? Like a moving blanket, bubble wrap, cardboard, and I think a tarp, right? And what what we learned, because we did a lot of business with this, the receiver too, out at, at Coors, and they were telling me, they're like, yeah, they're like, these are like almost impossible to ship without a claim. I think they told me at the end of the day, like 30 or 40% of those coils, no matter what they've done, end up with some claim. And he goes, here's the kicker, Right. It seems like a really big coil and it looks like a really little dent, right? But that shit was so thin that like even a little dent basically made like hundreds of yards of steel useless because they couldn't use it. And basically they had to send the whole thing back. So again, everything we talk about related to claims, but it's also reminding me of just like, those are the ones we put our better carriers on. We overprotected, always took pictures. You're going to deal with claims because there's just no way to avoid them. And some I'm of these scenarios, they wouldn't get smart and just use a, like a Conestoga or we something. We did. We used yeah. Conestoga's when at all possible, but I remember the volume was just high enough that like we couldn't get enough and they yeah. get sucked up a lot in the, around the steel mills. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And yeah, I mean, just that one instance, I, cause I remember this guy just did everything correct. I remember looking at the pictures and then looking at the claim and it was just like, yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't really know what you do at that point. Like, yeah. I mean, so I want to point something out too, that we, it's kind of administrative, but people are like, all right, so claim, what about like the freight bill? Like, does it get paid? Does it not? And typically, and I've seen this written in, in, uh, like literally in, in contracts um, that freight or freight claims are considered separate from freight invoices and should not be withheld. So like basically customers should still have to pay their invoice, even if there's a pending claim. The reality is they never do it. Right. So like if, well, here's like a, a common practice. If there's a claim that's going to be filed, everything just freezes, right? We're not going to pay the carrier right now. We're not going to, expect payment from the customer right now we're going to get this claim we're going to go through the claims process get it resolved figure out how much money is being paid out and if there's that deductible that we talked about right we might not get all that money from the carrier and the insurance company in total and there might be a little bit of a loss there then we have to figure out okay is the is the carrier going to get paid or not and typically they don't right if, if it's the carrier's fault a uh, common practice is just like we're not invoiced. The customer's not going to pay. Carrier's not going to get paid. It is what it is. Now, interesting one in the in the onion instance I brought up earlier, it was delivered and it was accepted. And now they're filing a claim after the fact on a delivered basis, which means that legally we're bound to pay that carrier for their services because they they fulfilled what we hired them to do. And yep. now the customer wants the claim filed after the fact. So it's kind of a that's. That's why I always say like bad news gets worse with time. So had this been annotated or rejected 
immediately wouldn't be dealing with this situation. But now there's going to be um, some loss there to be to be absorbed. But uh, yeah, a little note there on if you still get paid or not. And people get paid, right? Because it's that you expect to get paid on this stuff. But for sure, on insurance policies, they all cover different stuff. Um, I've seen them where the claim covers the cost of um, additional transportation. If like something has to go get salvaged or I'm sorry, dumped and they're salvaging mm-hmm. the rest of it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's all kinds of situations here. We should bring in a, uh, we've done insurance episodes, but we should bring in someone who's like a, a claims expert to go through like a good from idea. their perspective. Cause that's all they do. You and I are just exposed to it, but Stephen, can you uh, make a note to look on LinkedIn and see if you could find anyone that just does that? I mean, someone in our network, I'm sure we know of somebody that I'm just not thinking of that probably sits and does that on a daily basis, but it would be a really good interview for sure. Good deal. Producer Stephen behind the scenes. Oh, he actually added something in there too. This is interesting. So fun little fact, ice cream and bags of chips cannot exceed 5,500 feet elevation so we have to send them the southern route as well. That's I've never come across that before. That's interesting. So, well, cool. Appreciate the tip there, Stephen, and the advice. We'll see if we can get somebody in the claims realm to come on the show and and pick their brain on it. But, um, yeah, I, I guess to to put a bow on this, as one would say, um, just as soon as you have an inkling that there might be a claim, get everybody who needs to be involved involved, right? You want to have a very good uh, electronic footprint, timestamps of events, who you called, what they said, pictures that were taken and sent, et cetera. Um, that stuff is going to make the claims process very smooth. Uh, where they get drug, drug out over a long period of time is where there's conflicting information. One person suggests one thing and other person's evidence suggests something different. And yep. that's where it gets very, very messy. At the end of the day, I mean, it's like, it's like if you get in a car accident, they're going to deem somebody at fault or partially at fault. And if we're at the, mer- the the insurance company is going to either it's all subjective. or deny, you know, we're at, we're at the mercy of that. So if you can prove <laughs> everything that you need to prove, that's good. That's what I was getting at. Right. And I think one of my takeaways, right. And for anyone out there, when I think about all of the claims and there's more claims for some commodities and other commodities, right. Like, just keep it simple. If you do everything that shipper asks you to do within their agreement and their conversations with you for the requirements of a load, right? If it's a flatbed, the tarps, the securing of it, every aspect of it, right? And a second one, right, is let's say it's produce. If you make sure whatever that shipper tells you, you got to pre-cool that trailer, better pre-cooled, right? Because the risk isn't really just on us, the brokerage, like we pointed out. It's also on the carrier because it's the carrier's insurance, right? So if you've got a good relationship with a carrier, and hint, this is why we talk about having good relationships with your carriers to be able to use them over and over again. They're more likely to understand the shipper's protocols and to do what they're supposed to because they've done it before. But more importantly, what you pointed out, Nate, is it's like if you can get the carrier to do all of the things that you would do if you were on site, right? Like take a picture of the way it was secured, making sure you had verified that you pre-cooled it. And more importantly, verify that the cargo going into your truck, right, was the proper um, 
I don't want to say quality, but in the right condition before you've left, right? Like to your instance, what that means in produce is, did you pulp it? Did you make sure that that produce was getting loaded into your truck was also pre-cooled just like your trailer? Because where I see the most, call it like, um, I don't want to call it like criminal, but like disingenuous shippers that will load a truck with things that probably shouldn't have been loaded correctly and then blame the carrier when it's claimed on the other end. The only way you can really reduce that risk as a broker is to make sure your carrier is doing due diligence when they're loading it, right? If you're going to ask me to prequel the trailer, those cantaloupes better be at the right temperature and better not have been sitting out in the sun all day and you put them into the refrigerator 15 minutes before, you know, I'm loading them into my truck because you're going to have a claim. I want to add here too, because different shippers have different loading policies, right? Is it shipper loading count? Meaning the shipper is the one that's loading it onto the trailer and counting everything and putting it on the BOL. If that's the case, the driver didn't necessarily have a way to be able to see that stuff, right? We've had issues where the driver tells us like, I wasn't even allowed to see what, like how it was getting loaded or who loaded it, right? Whereas obviously in other situations, if you have a flatbed, you're going to see it getting loaded. But if you're if you're backing up against a, a warehouse or distribution center and you're not allowed in there and they're going to put a seal on it, like you don't know. Exactly. Right? But all the better. Be You'd rather thing. have it sealed. If you're the one driving. You want to know where the weight's distributed and how it's secured because it's going to exactly. affect the way your, your vehicle handles. So anyone that has driven a, a Class 8 truck before or a large vehicle or moving truck for that matter, right? You know that like having weight too high is one thing. Oh. And also like driving through driving on uh, snow where the weight is distributed over your axle is going to affect your traction. So like this is a thing where drivers should be very uh, it's in their oh. best interest to understand how yep. and where things are loaded on their trailer. So. Yeah. And again, I, I want to make a point like this isn't always possible. Like you pointed out, I guess I would say it's like if and when it is possible, do as much of this as you can. If I'm driving a truck, if I can look at it, I'm going to. If I can take a picture, I'm going to. If they don't let me, I'm going to note that in my logs too to make yep. sure I let the broker know this is the scenario. Because I've seen carriers. People just write, they write SLC on yeah. BOLs for that. Yep. And it's like, I've seen carriers get screwed in these scenarios where they did everything they were supposed to. The shipper didn't do what they were supposed to. And they did that just to blame the carrier's insurance, right? Yep. Good deal. All right. That's good enough on claims, man. We got we can go down a rabbit hole, but I don't want to get too deep because we can do a, another episode where we talk in detail with a, either a claims analyst or maybe from an insurance company that handled the actual claim process. Um, check out our episode about or with LoadSure as well. That They're a really cool single load uh, first position insurance coverage that brokers can buy for their customers. Yep. Um, we had a really cool talk about you know, what goes into a, a pro- cost for insurance and especially those those all risk policies and talk through, um, you know, some exclusions and stuff like that. We didn't even talk about excluded commodities, but, you know, <laughs> that's another thing. I'll just add it at the end. Make sure that the commodity that you're hauling is not excluded from the carrier's cargo policy, because that will definitely that's be a big one. claim and your customer is going to be screwed and you either have to make them whole and pay for it yourself or lose a customer. So that is all. You got anything? uh you got any more proverbs to give us today? I said no, off the top of my head. Fair enough. Well, good deal, man. Final thoughts. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, it's officially the 2024 NFL season in my mind. Go Bills! That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. 
Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week.